Last Friday, Alan Finkel published his independent review into the future security of the national electricity market. 200 pages worth. Tony Abbott is obviously a speed reader and he quickly came out in opposition to its recommendations and seems to have galvanised a fair proportion of the parliamentary Liberal Party to do the same. And so last night there was a pretty fiery party room meeting about it. Energy Minister Josh Frydenberg said this is the first of those meetings, not the last, and there's a long way to go. To which the obvious reply is that we've been going for a long time already, Josh, and we need to snap it up. I thought the most useful way to deal with this subject is not to talk to the people pushing barrows, but rather someone who's been analysing energy markets for a long time. Tristan Edis was the editor of Climate Spectator, the publication I started in 2009, and he now works for a consultancy called Green Energy Markets. And he's advising people who are engaged in the business of producing and consuming electricity every day. Yes, Tristan is not what you'd call a climate change denier, but he does know what he's talking about. I started by asking him whether he's surprised at the vehemence of the opposition to Finkel and whether he thinks that Tony Abbott and the crew in the Liberal Party are just negotiating or are they really against it? On one side, it's not surprising from a very you know, a raw political perspective. Uh, I suppose it's not surprising that um, you've got a camp of disaffected people who've lost their jobs when Turnbull took over. They've lost ministerial positions and they've lost power. But from uh, you know, a practical perspective, it is surprising because electricity prices right now are sky high. They are double what they were when the carbon price was in place. And that's a function of the fact that we, we have an uncertain regulatory environment where no one has the confidence to invest in in new generating capacity that would bring power prices down because they don't know, they're sort of stuck between either a situation where Tony Abbott might come back to the leadership and if they were to invest in you know, low emission plants then they, they could be sunk. On the other hand, if they look at this and think, well, Labor's eventually going to get elected and they might put in place some kind of regulatory regime to reduce emissions, so I can't invest in, in new coal and you're stuck between a rock and a hard place with no investment and consequently power prices are being set by very expensive gas generators. So you sit there and think, well, look, guys, if you choose to do nothing to about providing some clarity about emission reduction policy, we're absolutely damned. We're going to have very high power prices. That's a horrible situation that you're dumping the rest of the community in. We'll get on to the Finkel details in a moment, but would you say, therefore, that the only way we'll get power prices down is via a bipartisan policy? Absolutely. That's the only way. And I think you, you get that same consistent answer from every major um, electricity company. What you're saying, therefore, is the reason power prices are double what they were before is simply because of a lack of investment caused by the, by the failure of achieving a bipartisan policy. That's right, Alan. And if you look at what the cost is of new plants, and the cheapest new plant is either solar or or wind power, you can see the prices that are being struck on long-term contracts for those projects is somewhere between as low as $50 a megawatt hour and, say, around $70 a megawatt hour. And you compare that with what wholesale prices are right now on the electricity market, they're well above that. They're $100, $120, depending upon what state you're in. And so if we can get 
enough clarity about the regulatory regime going forward, then people will be confident to invest in new plants that is going to be substantially cheaper than what we're currently paying for power. When you say that solar and wind are cheaper, does that include the large-scale generation certificates generated under the RET? So that's the flat price that power retailers are paying to those, those power plants for their power. That's the contract price for the power. Now, as part of that, those retailers are then entitled to a renewable energy certificate, but the price that they're paying the person that's building the plant and incurring all the cost of construction is somewhere between 50 and $70 a megawatt hour. And how does that compare with the cost of power from coal and gas? The challenge we've got is existing coal, so plant that's already been built and all their construction costs are sunk, are quite cheap. So their operating costs would be, if it's brown coal, it would be something close to, say, $10 a megawatt hour, if it's black coal, it's, it's closer to, say, $20, $25 a megawatt hour. So it's more expensive than the existing plant. The problem is the existing plants are not going to be enough to meet our electricity demand. And so if you were to build new coal plant and you've got to pay for all the construction associated with that and all of the equipment, then you're looking at a price including um, the cost of financing because people will apply a risk premium to financing a coal plant then you're looking at a cost above $100 a megawatt hour to make a new coal plant viable in Australia. Right. Well, so that means that the that those pushing, and there are people in the Liberal Party pushing for new coal plants to be built, would increase the price of power, not reduce it. Yeah, well, in essence, they either you're happy to for them to build it and then make a loss. So they would only build that plant, so this is the private sector, would only build that plant if they were confident that they were going to receive an ongoing revenue stream of $100 a megawatt hour. But that might be through some kind of subsidy that they might do that. Or if government were to loan them the money at a subsidised interest rate, then you might you might build that plant that didn't charge any kind of risk premium. But that's fundamentally what you're looking at. Is if, you want to, if you don't want to upend the last 20 years of regulatory reform where we've tried to get government out of the power sector, then um, to build a new coal plant, you're looking at about $100 a megawatt hour. So let's just get on to Finkel now. And the, the central thing in there is this, what he calls the clean energy target. Can you explain how that works? So essentially you, you set a, some kind of benchmark uh, or emissions intensity pollution benchmark for generating electricity and let's say it's, I'll just pluck a number out of here, let's say it's one tonne of CO2 per megawatt hour. Anything that's um, below that earns a, a right to uh, an emissions credit um, in proportion to how far below that benchmark they are. So let's say it was a renewables plant, they emit no emissions, so therefore they would get one carbon credit for every megawatt hour they generate. If it was, say, a gas plant, and they were emitting, say, 0.4 tonnes of CO2 per megawatt hour, then they would generate a carbon credit of 0.6 for every megawatt hour they generate, which is the, the emissions below that benchmark. Then with those carbon credits, you've then got to create a source of demand for them, and so government would require electricity retailers to acquire a set amount of carbon credits that would be calibrated to achieve their Paris emission targets, their 2030 emission reduction target. 
Is that the same thing as saying that anyone generating electricity above that one tonne or whatever it is per megawatt hour would have to buy a credit from those who are generating below that level? So that's where this scheme that Finkel has proposed is different to an emissions intensity target which is, uh, or emissions intensity scheme, which has been the policy of the Labor government. Under Finkel's scheme, generators that are above that emissions intensity benchmark don't incur any penalty. How does it work to achieve the emissions reduction target or the commitments? Well, essentially, those that are earning an emissions credit are paid a fee by the, the retailer to acquire that credit, and that acts as a subsidy on their cost of generating electricity, and therefore they will bid in prices that are going to be below, say, a coal plant, and then that way they act to displace those high emissions intensity intensity generators that may not be incurring a penalty, but nonetheless, they see a, um, they're competing against a new plant that essentially is able to bid a lower price than them because they've got this carbon credit revenue. Who provides the cash for that credit? So the retailers, just like they do under the current renewable energy target, will then pass that cost on to electricity consumers. And so electricity consumers will pay a fee associated with the purchasing of those carbon credits. Now, I suppose the benefit that those electricity consumers get in return, though, is that through this this policy, they're going to be inducing new investment in power plants, and that should reduce the overall price of electricity across the entire market. So you see the coal plant are going to have to reduce their prices in order to continue to get to generate, and the new plant will be coming in at a cost that's lower than gas plant, which are currently setting market clearing prices. And so the overall wholesale price is reduced by an amount that is greater than the increased cost that end consumers are paying for these carbon credits. Has Finkel modelled this and is that modelling convincing? It suggests that energy consumers will be paying less overall on their electricity bills compared to if we just kept ourselves in this current sort of limbo land of, of no no policy. Um, so yes, uh, that is the, um, the conclusion that their economic modelling comes to. And it's similar to the, you know, if you just do some very basic analysis and you sit there and go, well, what are current prices and what's driving them? It's being set by very expensive existing gas plant that are paying a lot of money for their gas because gas is in short supply. That's what's setting electricity prices right now. And by inducing new renewables investment, essentially you push out that expensive gas and you see a reduction in overall power prices. And that's the conclusion they come to. It's the conclusion most people that analyse the electricity sector come to. But what they're actually doing is paying renewable generators of wind and solar an extra amount of money, which actually is paid by the consumers of the electricity, so it increases the price beyond what it would have otherwise been. What it does is it increases one component of their bill, but then it lowers the other component of their bill. Retailers have to pay a price to acquire these carbon credits, but they will then, in the end, have to pay less for the underlying wholesale electricity market. So... Uh, on one side, the, the carbon credit incurs an extra cost, but then on the other side, 
the price to acquire electricity from the wholesale electricity market goes down. Is that going down? Is that definite? I suppose that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, how sure can you be? Because the, because the extra cost of the credit is definite, but the reduction in price caused by extra supply is perhaps not so definite. That is a fair point to make, Alan. But when you look at what people are paying under contracts or you look at the construction costs for building new plants, you sit there and say, that is demonstrably lower than what we know for sure is the current wholesale price. And we know that if those plants are built, they are going to bid into the electricity market at a price that is substantially lower than gas-fired power plants. And so you can be definite about also the fact that those those new low emission plants are going to be cheaper than what gas plant are that are currently setting the market price. So yes, you are you are trusting that the market will pass on those savings in final prices, but you should have reasonable confidence that that the market will do what what markets generally do if you induce an extra new low cost supply. As a general rule, prices go down unless you have a situation where you have a you know a monopoly. It seems to me that um, Finkel is, in a sense, rebranding the renewable energy target and calling it clean energy target and making it seem like it's fuel neutral, when really it's not at all. I mean, but it's but it's all about trying to persuade um, the sections of the Liberal Party to accept it. The reality is that it it is neutral in that it it doesn't specify the types of technologies, but it says, look, you've got a goal of needing to reduce emissions. So if if some kind of power plant can come along that can generate electricity below this emissions intensity benchmark, then it qualifies and the cheapest one wins out of that scheme. It just happens to be that renewable energy plant, from my evaluation of the evidence, is going to be that cheapest plant. And, um, and so it's, it's going to deliver a very similar outcome to what you would have seen with a renewable energy target. It's just that you're saying, hey, look, if something surprising happened and, for example, you know, it turned out that coal with carbon capture and storage was much cheaper than what we currently think it is, well, then we could benefit from that and, and the market would, would move towards that instead of renewable energy or if gas prices plummeted, then um, we'd use more more gas-fired generation to lower our emissions instead. So I suppose it allows for technological surprises to happen. That might mean some other technology turns out to be cheaper than renewable energy at reducing emissions. Does it depend on where this benchmark is actually set under the clean energy target? I mean, is there a level at which Tony Abbott might be happy? So technically, you could set that benchmark at a higher level I think Finkel talked about setting it at 0.6 tonnes of CO2 per megawatt hour. You could set it at, at say, a brown coal power plant at, say, 1.2 or 1.3 tonnes of CO2 and still achieve emission reductions because what would happen is you set a higher amount of emission credits that you need retailers to buy and then in the end to be able to produce that amount of emissions credits you're just going to need to deliver the same amount of renewable energy to, to deliver enough quantity of credits to achieve the target. If you're, you happen to be, say, Tony Abbott or, or maybe one of these other people that's a bit concerned about the scheme, 
you might have a different view to me about how cheap you think coal is relative to renewable energy. Now, if that's the case and you think you can build coal plant that's lower emissions than what I think, then if that's the case, then this scheme would drive that new coal, that apparently cheap and low emissions coal that these people think exists, and it would deliver the target. Now, I think those people have looted, but if they're right, then electricity consumers will benefit from that and the environment will benefit from this apparently cheap and low emissions coal that they think exists. In fact, Finkel helpfully created a table in his report showing the emissions intensity of all of the fuels, including what's called high-efficiency, low-emissions coal, H-E-L-E. Tell us about that. There seems to be this view that these plants are of low enough emissions intensity that they can deliver our emission reduction targets. But I just look at the numbers and, and I can't make that compute but that's what they think. And if they're right, well, this policy could deliver that outcome if the you know the emissions intensity benchmark was adjusted. But even if it wasn't, you'd still see people build these plants, I would have thought, if they're as low cost and as low emissions as what they seem to be promoting and what the Coal or Minerals Council seems to be promoting. But I just think that's probably a bit of a surfing that they're actually going to be cheap enough and low enough emissions to deliver our, our target. I think probably the thing that people don't, even if it was possible that they could deliver our 2030 targets, they can't deliver the emission reductions that the world has signed up to with the exclusion perhaps of Donald Trump beyond 2030. So if you were an investor and someone said, oh, let's go build a new coal plant and it'll, it'll be low enough emissions for us to achieve our 2030 target, you go, that's fine but you're asking me to invest billions of dollars in this plant and I won't see my money back until after 20 years. So will this plant be viable after 2030? And you quickly come to the conclusion, well, no, we, you know, we need to reduce our emissions even further beyond 2030 and this plant would need to get shut prematurely. And uh, so therefore you're going to lose your money. But there's two things that the government has to set now. One is the benchmark under the clean energy target and the other is the number of credits that the retailers have to provide or buy. And so really there's two kind of variables that the government can set to achieve its um, result, right? That's correct, yes. And also there are two other things in the Finkel report that seem to be important. One is the demand management mechanism and the other is the what they call the reliability obligation, generator reliability obligation. Are those two things important uh, on the scale of the clean energy target or not? The demand management thing certainly is. So you might look at it as essentially the other side of the coin or on one hand, you're trying to achieve improved reliability um, by inducing new investment and getting reduced prices through encouraging new supply. That is this clean energy target. But then you're missing the other side of the equation or the other hand is um, uh, mechanisms to encourage people to save energy. Um, Now that can also deliver emission reductions and can also make sure that we you know we can keep the lights on because the lights go out when we don't have enough supply to meet demand so we add more supply but we can also um, reduce demand through saving energy through energy efficiency as an example or through switching around the times at which we we require electricity to, to even it out a little bit more take the peaks out now the problem 
we face so far is we've had multiple reviews stretching back to 2002 that have said, yes, we need to do more to save energy and to reduce demand during peak periods. This would save consumers' money overall versus building new supply. And everyone's nodding in agreement that bureaucrats don't actually take any action to implement the recommendations from these reviews. And unfortunately, Finkel's done yet again that same thing. He said, yes, we should do this. It's cheaper than adding new supply. And let's give it to the bureaucrats to go and have a bit more of a look at. And you're like, oh, God, well, that's a recipe for doing nothing. On the energy reliability obligation issue, the problem we have is Finkel's kind of come up with a bit of a um, what you might call a, a regulatory instruction. But what we have at the same time is we have the Australian energy market operator and the Australian energy rulemaker called the AEMC are looking at creating new markets that um, fulfil exactly the same purpose as what, what Finkel has outlined about requiring this energy storage. And so we're going to end up in a situation potentially where consumers are going to have to pay twice for the same thing. So they'll have to pay twice because, one, they'll have to pay for emission credits that are going to induce these renewables plants, which then have an added cost of having to pay another generator to be built to supply reliability. And then on the other hand, this new plant that is built, this um, dispatchable plant, it might be pumped hydro, it might be a gas plant or a biomass plant, anything that can be turned up or down uh, by the flick of a switch, being able to be switched up and down at very short notice thing through this other market that the um, Australian energy market operators and the, the Energy Market Commission or the AEMC is setting up. So we're going to have to decide on one or the other. We, it, it's not sensible to have both these obligations or, or new markets set up um, and forcing consumers to pay twice for the same service. I've been talking to Tristan Edis, a director of Green Energy Markets.